check out my new book, Coping Courageously, a heart-centered guide for navigating a loved one's illness without losing yourself. It's appropriate for you as a clinician, for your patients, and for anyone you know who has a seriously ill loved one or an aging parent. Check it out and tell a friend. Hello, and welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I'm Dr. Delia Caramonti, an Integrative Palliative Medicine Physician. If you want to improve the well-being of families facing serious illness, that's your patients, but also your own family, you are in the right place. We can heal people's lives even when we can't cure their disease. So let's get started. Welcome. I'm Dr. Caramonti, and our topic for today is when bad outcomes happen to good doctors. Like most doctors, I have a bunch of different stories that I could tell you about outcomes that didn't go quite how I wanted them to go, but I'm going to tell you about one that really caught me off guard, and it wasn't that long ago. I had a patient on the inpatient palliative care team who had an advanced cancer and had a ton of pain, and we had been working with her to manage her pain, and her husband would often come in with her, and he was also very distressed at the level of her pain. And she still wanted to pursue aggressive treatment, but we were using a lot of opiates and it just wasn't working. And we were pulling out all the stops, all our different tools that we thought to use. And she just really was struggling with pain. And so I saw her in person and she looked okay. She seemed like she was coping. We escalated her opiate dose and she was definitely not close to death. And her husband seemed very worried about her too. And she was very, very worried. And so she got her prescription. She went home and I talked to her husband the next day just to check in and see how she was doing. And he told me that she had died overnight. Now, I don't know what happened, but the thing that was strange about it to me is that he was not particularly upset or shocked. And he was very devoted and cared about her a lot. And he seemed completely resigned and okay. And so I don't really know what happened, but I think it is possible that they worked together to uh, give her an overdose of that medicine to put her out of her suffering. So I was pretty undone by that situation because... I didn't feel good about the fact that we couldn't manage her pain. I didn't feel good about the fact that I think she may have taken her own life when if we had more aggressively managed her pain, maybe convinced her to go to hospice or, you know, go to an inpatient hospice for acute pain management, given her a PCA, that maybe it wouldn't have turned out that way. So bad outcomes happen to good doctors all the time. And when it happens, it stinks. It's terrible. Now, I'm not talking today about how do you handle it with a patient if there's a medical error. That's a different talk for a different day. That's not what I'm talking about. Today, we're talking about you, the physician or other healthcare provider who is taking care of a patient and then things don't go how you hoped they would go. So that doesn't necessarily mean that a medical error was made, although it could because sometimes medical errors happen even to good doctors who are doing their very best. It might just mean you had a young patient that you couldn't save, so a young person who died from cancer, for example, or trauma. It might be that you had a younger patient who you thought was recovering from COVID and was leaving the ICU and suddenly they had a huge PE and died on the way out the door. It could be an unexpected outcome like with my patient. 
It could be a drug adverse event or a procedure adverse event, or it could be an error because we're not perfect. And even when we try our very best, sometimes errors happen. Just a caveat to people who are patients that may be listening and not physicians or other healthcare providers. I completely recognize that medical errors can be catastrophic and really destroy a patient's life or their family's life. And those conversations also need to be had, but that isn't the conversation we're having today. So today, the perspective I'm sharing is from the challenges and difficulty for the physician or other healthcare provider when they are involved in a a case that doesn't go well. So the problem is, of course, that we beat ourselves up when things don't go how we want them to go. And we can have fears. Some fears may be real, like could there be a malpractice suit? Yeah, that happens sometimes. But sometimes our fears can be overblown and aren't real, like I'll never practice again. That's probably not true. When something doesn't go as we want it to go, it feels lousy for us. And if we stuff those uncomfortable feelings, which it sometimes is more comfortable to do, they can come back out later in other ways as anxiety or depression or pain, headaches, high blood pressure, even blood sugar that's uncontrolled, heart attacks, all kinds of other unpleasantness that is not good for us. So even though in the moment, it may feel easier to just stuff all that and not think about it and move on. I highly recommend that you adopt a different approach. So the too long didn't read version of this, the big picture is bring your best self and let go of the rest. That's how we deal with the uncertainty in medicine and everything else too, but particularly in medicine. You bring your best self, you do the best that you can and you let go of the rest. That's the cliff notes for this podcast. What does that mean to bring your best self? You know, you keep up with medical literature, you pay attention to your patient. You don't drink while you're working, right? Like you try your best. You do your best. You show up in the best way that you can show up. And then you have to let go of the outcome. It works for other things too, by the way. It works in relationships. It works for parenting, you know, parenting of teenagers, right? You can't always control what they do. You can only control the kind of parent that you are and the way you show up. And then what happens after that is not in your control. That is the exact same concept that I'm talking about here. I'm going to actually mention that again at the end because I think it's so important. But now let's talk about steps for managing when bad outcomes happen to us. Okay, so step one is don't be surprised. And that may sound a little silly, but it's actually really important. The fact that we are shocked when a bad outcome happens shows that we are in some kind of fantasy land in our mind that nothing bad is ever going to happen. And of course, that's not true. So it's not that we don't care. Of course, we care. It's not that we don't try to make things go well every time. Of course, we try. But the fact is, we aren't perfect, and we can't control the whole world. And that's not our goal. So having outcomes that aren't what we want is part of the job, period. And we just have to accept that that is going to be part of our experience. It just is. So it doesn't mean we're going to like it when it happens. But we absolutely don't need to be shocked and mortified and horrified. Oh, my God, how could this happen? Because you know what, sometimes it's going to happen. That's why. So that's really one of the reasons that we need to talk about this is because we can't pretend that it's never going to happen. It's like pretending you can have a lot of unprotected sex and then you won't get pregnant. Head in the sand, not a good approach. Okay, so step number one is just expect it. Don't be surprised. It's part of our job. It's part of our experience. It's going to happen sometimes. That's one. Step two 
is self-reflect. Is there anything that we can learn from this to do better next time? So one of the dangers of the head in the sand approach, like I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen and power on, is that we miss the opportunity to learn. When I think about my patient, could I have done anything differently? Yeah, maybe. Maybe I could have realized that she might be considering taking her own life. I could have asked her about that. I could have screened for suicidal ideations. Maybe I could have offered a PCA or an inpatient hospice stay, um, even though she had stated she didn't want hospice yet. Maybe I could have pushed it a little. So we don't want to put our head in the sand because we do want to look for opportunities to learn, to, to decrease the risk of having an adverse event next time. That's really important. And if we don't do that, if we think, no, I'll feel better if I just never think about it again, Unfortunately, that's not true because it's going to nag at you inside if you do that. You you know it doesn't just go away. So if we're so ashamed and so afraid of the emotion that we can't learn from the experience, then we lose the opportunity to grow, but also we can't release it. It gets stuck. So self-reflecting about, is there anything we could do differently? But then also self-reflecting about how is this impacting me? We want to self-reflect about which of our buttons are getting pushed. Are we getting the feeling of, oh my God, I'm not good enough? Or are we feeling shame? Or is this pushing our buttons of imposter syndrome? So we should check in for ourselves about how big is it? How is it impacting me? And which of my buttons, my, my trauma that I bring, you know, from experiences I've had in the past, which one is getting activated now? And we should run it by one time, like, do I need help? As in, should I talk to a therapist? Do I have some trauma that this is reactivating that I should work on? Most of the time, that's not going to be true. But when we're self-reflecting and checking in about how we're doing, that is one of the things that we consider is, should I reach out for professional help? Number three, we need to be humble. This is kind of a spiritual practice to be humble in the face of an adverse event, because here's the fact we do not have ultimate control over things, period. Like, sorry to break it to you, but we just don't. We sometimes like to think that we do, that if we just study enough and learn enough and do the right thing and read articles and prescribe the right medicines or do the right procedures, that we have the power to make sure everything goes well. And you know what? We don't. We simply don't. And so humbleness about I can do my best, but I really can't control every outcome. I can't control the universe is an important part of us being able to manage when things don't go as we hope that they will go. And acknowledging that lack of control that we have takes courage. It really does because it feels safer to think that we have control over everything, but that's fake and we don't. And it puts us at risk of kind of crashing when things don't go well. So it's much better for us to admit that we're going to try our best, but we really don't have control over the whole universe. And there will be times when things happen that we can't control. So letting go of that idea that we have control over all the outcomes can be scary at first. But honestly, once you get used to it, it can also be very freeing because trying to hang on to control that we don't really have is pretty stressful. And when we can get to the place of, I will bring my best self, I will do the very best I can, and then I will acknowledge that I don't have control over every outcome in the world because I'm just this humble person on this planet. I can only do what I can do. I can't control all the things. Once we really accept that, it's actually quite freeing. What we have control over is what we do. 
So we control what we do, but we don't control what happens, right? Remember, bring your best self and let go of the rest. We can control what we do, but we cannot control what happens. Okay, so number three was be humble. Number four is to feel it on purpose. So I'm really sorry to tell you this, but in order to let something go, you have to let it in first. So stuffing those feelings and pretending you don't feel them doesn't make them go away. It just makes them go underground and then they come back up stronger. So it doesn't help us to try to stuff it and pretend we don't feel it. It's really an important part of the process that we allow ourselves to feel it. So what does that mean? For some people who allow themselves to cry, allow yourself to cry. You know, if you feel it happening and you're in a place where you can allow it to be, don't stop it. Don't don't try to stuff it. Don't, you know, wipe your eyes real quick. Like go to a place where you can be private and allow those feelings to come on purpose. If you feel a little sting in your eyes, don't try to stop that. Go to a place where you can be private, close your eyes, check inside with yourself and allow yourself to feel what you're going to feel. If you're not a crying kind of person, then one thing that you might consider doing is in a time where you can be alone and be still, check into your body where you feel a sense of tightness or stuckness in your body. For me, it's almost always in my chest, but for you, it might be in your chest or it might be in your neck, in your shoulders, in your head, in your stomach, in your jaw. So there are all different kinds of places that we feel tension and stress and discomfort. So take some time, check in with yourself, be quiet, and notice what you're feeling. Notice if there's a place that's tight or stuck. And if there is, give that part of you some attention, meaning you can actually in your mind, this sounds a little crazy, but it's okay, do it anyway, in your mind, Ask yourself, ask that part of you, like for me, my chest, is there something that you would like me to know? Ask that part of you, your tight jaw, your tight neck, your tight shoulders, what do you need from me? And just be with that. Maybe you'll feel some impression in your body. Maybe you'll even hear words in your head. You're not crazy. If you do, it's okay. Or you may not feel any of those things and that's okay too. But just taking some quiet time checking in where in your body it feels tight or stuck, and just asking your body, is there something you need to tell me? Is there something you want me to know? Is there something I can do for you? And just sit with that for a minute. That's how you allow yourself to feel on purpose the difficult emotions that come with a negative adverse event. Okay, step five is to let it go. Now, I get it that that sounds simple, but it's actually really tough. But your first step is the intention to let it go. So rather than stuffing it, which is what we often do, like smash that thing in the basement, I'm never going to think about it again, have at least the intention to feel it and let it go. Sometimes we even hold on to these things on purpose, maybe to self-flagellate, you know, like I'm ashamed of what happened, so I'm going to make sure I feel badly about it over and over again. Or we think that we're supposed to hold on to it because it's serious and we shouldn't let it go. But no, the goal is you allow yourself to feel it and then you intentionally allow it to pass, let it go. And so there's all kinds of tricks that people use to help themselves let go of serious or difficult emotions. Personally, I think I may have mentioned this once before, I shake, like shake my hands, you know, trying to get water off of my hands and people who've worked with me 
have seen me do that. Uh, but I find it really helpful. It's it's a physical thing. It's a little bit of a somatic release of tension in the body. Shaking your hands like you're um, trying to shake water off of your hands and shaking your upper arms. Some people do that and shake their legs. So that's something that you can do. Some people try to blow away negative feelings, like they'll bring it to mind and then <sighs> try to blow it away with the breath. Some people will try to wipe it away like you take your right hand and you put it on your left shoulder and you like like you're wiping dirt off of your arm and hand you wipe down to your fingers and then you do it on the other side some people do that a whole bunch of times aerobic exercise can be a really good release for the sympathetic nervous system activation that comes along with stress or shame you can process it with other people if you think there's a malpractice issue there's some issues around discoverability so be thoughtful about who you're discussing it with but it is important to process difficult emotions. For some people talking about it helps. You can also use a journal to basically talk to yourself about it. And there is evidence that when people have difficult experiences and they write about them in a journal, the uh, negative impact on their psyche goes down. So it helps. There are funny tricks that people use, like you can write down on a piece of paper all the terrible feelings that you're feeling and then tear them up in a million pieces or burn them in the fireplace, for example. Rituals really do help. Rituals of release and letting go really do help. You can let yourself feel it in the shower, even if you're a guy, even if you're not a crier. If you're in the shower, you're all alone. See if you can tap into the feelings and let yourself feel it and imagine that the shower water is washing all of that difficult emotion away. Let the water wash it away. Those are some examples of how people can practice letting go. And then step number six is to practice self-compassion. The simplest way, I think, to think about the idea of self-compassion is to imagine that you are your friend. So the ways that you might be speaking to yourself in your head, like, oh my God, you're so freaking stupid. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you let that happen. Would you ever, 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 ever speak that way to a dear friend? No, of course you wouldn't because you're a nice person. You would never do that. If your friend had an adverse event and they told you about it and they said, oh my God, I'm a terrible doctor. I should never practice medicine again. You would say, oh, for goodness sakes, that is so not true. You're a wonderful doctor. Your patients love you. This was a really terrible, unfortunate thing that happened. I'm so sorry that it happened to you. How can I help you? How can I support you? What do you need right now? Those are the kinds of things that you would say to your friend. So the simplest practice of self-compassion is to imagine a friend were coming to you telling you about this story. What would you say to them? And then turn those words back to yourself and at least say them in your head. If you're willing, it's even better to say them out loud to yourself if you're willing, but at least say them to yourself in your head. Okay, so to remind you of the six steps, the first one is don't be surprised because adverse events happen. It's just part of the job. Step number two is to self-reflect both. Is there anything that you could have done differently or could have learned for next time? And how is this impacting you? Step number three is to be humble and realize that you don't have control over all the things that happen in the world, that you have control over what you do, but you don't have control over what happens. That's the humble part. Step number four is to feel it on purpose, even if you don't want to, even if it feels yucky, 
And one of the ways that you can allow yourself to feel it is to sit in a quiet place, check in with your body. Where are you feeling the tightness or stuckness? And silently in your head, ask your body, what does it need? What does it want to tell you? And even if you don't hear anything, that's perfectly fine. Just check in with your body, notice what's happening and allow yourself to feel it. Step number five is on purpose to let it go. So first you set the intention. I allowed myself to feel these feelings and now I am ready to let these feelings go. And you can use some of the physical tricks that we talked about or exercise or talking about it or writing it, um, but intentionally looking for ways to let it go. And then step number six is to practice self-compassion, speaking to yourself on purpose the way you would speak to someone that you love. So remember, the big picture here is you bring your best self and let go of the outcome. Bring your best self, let go of what happens because you don't have control over it. I'm going to say it one more time. You bring your best self and then you let go of the outcome. That's your homework is to look for an opportunity where you can bring your best self and let go of the outcome. I'm not saying that I hope that you have an adverse event this week. You can do that anywhere. You can do that with a patient where you say, I need you to stop smoking and they don't. So rather than getting angry at them, you bring all your tools, all your motivational interviewing, all the skills that you learned about helping people with behavior change, and then you let go of the outcome. You can do it with a in a relationship. You can do it with a teenage child that you bring your best self and then you let go of the outcome. It is a really helpful tool for all kinds of of challenging experiences that we have in life. Okay, so that's your goal, your homework for the week is to find one opportunity where you can bring your best self and let go of the outcome. Well, thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it because this kind of whole person care for both the patients with serious illness, but also those of us who care for them is really important. If you liked what you heard today, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and also consider sending a link to a colleague so that they can listen. It helps to spread the word. It would mean a lot to me. I really, really appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Integrative Palliative Podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Palliative Medicine. If you found value in this podcast, please share with a friend or a colleague, subscribe or leave us a review. And to learn about upcoming Integrative Palliative Educational Programs or get on the waiting list for our next Physician Scholars Program, go to www.tiipm.org and sign up. And I'll see you next week.